Welcome to Book Shambles. You're listening to an abridged version of this episode. You can listen to the full uncut edition of this episode if you become a Patreon supporter of the show. And that's for as little as $1 a month via Patreon. And uh, you can support us. So just go to patreon.com forward slash. I still say forward slash. I'm I'm nearly 51. Thank you. Uh, Forward slash Book Shambles for more info and how to pledge. Hello there and welcome to Book Shambles. Producer Trent here. Our guest on this week's show is our friend Adam Kay, who you may best know from his uh, multi-million selling uh, book from a couple of years ago, This Is Going To Hurt. And his new book is uh, an anthology of letters uh, from over 100 people who've written thank you letters to the NHS. Uh, Adam has edited that book and written the introduction. It's called Dear NHS. It is out now, so make sure you go to your independent bookshop website of choice and get yourself a copy of that. And also this conversation, which was uh, recorded remotely, like they all are now, was a really fun and long chat that went for about an hour and 15 minutes and uh, we've recorded all of it obviously and as usual the only way to hear that entire conversation is to become a Patreon Book Shambles supporter so you can go to patreon.com slash bookshambles to subscribe there's lots of different tier options available to you but the extended editions of each episode every week is available to all the different tiers all the tiers named after various Authors that we regularly chat about on the show. So at the Alan Moore level, which is the behind the scenes level, you'll also be able to watch a video of this chat, which is the recorded Skype conversation. So apart from getting the extended version, you can also watch Adam drinking his wine and uh, Josie running off to uh, wake Johnny up. So that's fun. (laughs) Thank you very much to all our Patreon supporters. As usual, we wouldn't be able to keep making the show, especially now without your support make sure you go to cosmicshambles.com and check out all the other stuff we've got going on uh you might particularly enjoy the conversation we did as part of the blue dot festival online this past weekend with the writer and producer andrean who co-created cosmos with her late husband carl sagan and wrote the book for that and the new cosmos series and contact and shadows of forgotten ancestors lots of incredible science books that was a conversation with Anne and robin and brian cox that's up on our youtube channel and also on the science shambles podcast so check that out our show and tell shows still running the guest on this week's show is the photographer helen crimmins last week was a part-time book shambles co-host when josie was off on maternity leave beck hill that's enough rambling from me here is robin and josie with adam hello welcome to josie and robin's book shambles hello josie you've just been uh, a camping trip i have and i'm really gross you can't really feel it but i'm emanating a certain sort of smoky kind of baked in quality it looks good on you, actually. That look of just faint cannibalism about you mm. is, I think, something that you carry off very, very well. Thank you. It's something I really work on. I had to cut my daughter's fingernails today, and they were so disgusting and dirty, I ended up sort of buffering them, buffing buffing them with a wet wipe. And as I was doing it, I was like, this is a manicure, darling. And she was not impressed. I like the idea of her fingers slowly buffering. 
that there's a period of time where she's not able to hold them. Hang on a minute, my fingers are buffering, mum. And now I hold the cup. Um, How are you? I'm good. I'm good. I've been. Uh, I saw a very good. Well, I thought it was a good film. Obviously, this is a very subjective thing to to say it was a good film. But um, Gus Van Sant's film about the cartoonist John Callahan. Uh, Don't worry, he won't get far on foot. Uh, John Callahan was a uh, quadriplegic um, cartoonist. Yes, it's Quacking Phoenix and Jonah Hill, who uh, I've not seen him much. He was very very good in it as well. Um, like and it's and John Callahan's story is it's an interesting story about how ba- basically he was now. Who was involved in a um, a car accident, and uh, the other guy, pretty much who was driving it, got out scot free, and he woke up basically pretty much quadriplegic with with some level of, of, of movement in in his hands and arms. And it's it's just a really nicely told story, and and his cartoons were very very funny as well. Because don't worry, he won't get far on foot. Is uh, based around a cartoon of a bunch of guys who are obviously going after a rustler, and they're in the middle of a desert, and they just see the wheelchair left alone. And and they say, don't worry, he won't get far on foot. So it's there's a lot of kind of different things going on. Uh, and Joaquin Phoenix, I think, is always brilliant as well. Yeah. I think that in the Lynn Ramsey film that he was, uh, yeah, he's great. Um, so that's my recommendation. I would also recommend... I I've been reading some books. What have you been reading out in the countryside? I've been reading Brown Baby by friend of the show, Nika Shukla. Yeah. Which is fantastic. That's I've not been... out yet, is it? Is, is that the one that's that's imminent? Gosh, I don't know if it's out because I just got sent a copy. You, yeah, because you just you live in a kind of literati world, don't you? Where yeah, so uh, copies and good yeah, times. Sorry, for you. I'm just sent these books. I can't engage with the high poly. I don't know, but it, it, I think it, I think it isn't yet out, and so I'm. Um, I hope I'm wetting people's appetites. Um, I also read the Changeling and the Ballad of Black Tom by Victor Laval, and they were both so great, so great. Um, they were both they're both um so one of them is a counterpoint to an hp lovecraft story right and hp lovecraft we know is like a very grim bigoted writer in loads of ways and so this is a counterpoint to it written from the perspective of the african-american character in it like sort of taking the story and like reclaiming it and changing it. And it was so great. And also as somebody who's not really read any HP Lovecraft, I was just like, still, it wasn't something where if you hadn't read the original, you wouldn't be able to engage with it and enjoy it. Um, Yeah, it was great. And the other one is about uh, also set in kind of Brooklyn and Queens and about mythical monsters interacting with the modern world. And so they're both just really like, thrilling frightening books so great and so good for sort of counteracting the monotony of life at the moment anyway we're joined by today's guest who is um really frankly should stop writing books he's he wrote one book and he's still selling a huge amount and if he had any kind of goodness and kindness in his heart he'd just think well, i shouldn't write any more let someone else's book sell but nevertheless it's, he is you won the game game over that's the rule that's the way it game, should be game over now it's going to end up being four books pretty much by the end of the year as far as i can tell adam k hello hello how are you good yeah now you have so, so i'm thinking you've got the second book obviously which came out before christmas yeah and to be fair we'll get straight into talking about the 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 latest book um because it it, it is an act of uh it's well it's it's a it's a it's a dear, dear nhs it's it's a um 
many different people, well-known people, talking about their experience with the the NHS, which of course you were a doctor in the NHS, and many people will know if they've 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 read your fantastic um, first book. Um, and where did this idea come from? When did it? What, what was the kind of germination of all of this? I guess it probably came from a sort of feeling of helplessness that us arty types um, have you know, watching the news and seeing all the people with actual proper jobs going out and saving lives. And I, I've got a lot of those people in my life, um, my my family, my friends, you know, sort of almost all the friends I've made over the years were, you know, were in the uh, in medicine land and all those doctors and nurses and midwives um, and just sort of being at home with not a huge amount to do, wondering what I could do on a sort of practical basis and I thought that we're quite bad at saying thank you and I thought that it would be nice to do a to collect some sort of book that did say thank you to the people who are working and also to say thank you on a more practical basis um, by um, hopefully raising a chunk of money for for charity because the idea is that and in fact, the reality is that um, every penny the book makes goes to NHS Charities Together and the Lullaby Trust, which is um, a charity I'm a patron of, lovely, tiny charity who look after families bereaved of babies and young children. So um, that was that was the idea behind it. And uh, by all metrics, it went better than I thought it would. Yeah, the Lullaby Trust is is really, uh, you know, it, it's I can't remember when I first um, found out about it, but I would recommend everyone who's listening to this to find out more about what the Lullaby uh, Trust does. They're, um, they're absolutely wonderful. I'm so proud to um, to be involved with them. Um, at every show I've done for the last couple of years, um, we've done a, a, a bucket shake um, at the end uh, for them. They've sent volunteers along, and we've raised. I think I think it's now over 150,000 wow. just from the generosity of uh, of people at shows, which is I'm I'm so proud of everyone who's come to those shows um, for doing that. And it's and and it's the size of charity that that's made a you know a material difference to, particularly at a time now where charity um, charity money is is very low. They've been able to 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 continue with all their you know the helplines they run and the research they fund. So, um, but they're they're a, they're a good very good thing. So this, um, I want to start in something which is, I think we can be uh, almost ambivalent towards the NHS until you actually use it. Because uh, I, I am surprised sometimes, obviously there are many people who realise it's, you know, this is one of the greatest things that exists. The moment that you've been to America, or if you have a friend who's been ill in America, we've mentioned many times before our friend Helen Crimmins, who we did a benefit uh, for when she, when she had cancer um, a couple of years ago. And when she sent me just some of the invoices for how much it costs yeah i mean the, it's a very stark contrast um the nhs isn't always front and center in our minds but it has been for the last few months for very obvious reasons but when you do need it it is always there it's our it's the best insurance policy there is it's got you know there is no uh What's it called? There's no excess when you go in. It's, you know, everyone's got the same level of cover and that level of cover covers everything. And um, in fact, in the book, a couple of people talked about the, the differences between the two systems. Stanley Tucci, 
who uh, lived in America, now based um, in this country. Is um, Yeah. I love it when Americans are in Britain. He's American, isn't he? He's, he's American. He's I love very, it when you find American. out American. Um, I'm sorry. And yeah, he married a, married a Brit, lives over here, and uh, loves, loves the UK. And talks about his sort of wonderment when he first needed the NHS that, and I don't need to pay you now? The answer is no, no, you don't. Because if you've come from America, that's a very weird concept. And on the other side, um, Stephen Fry talks, who, who, as we know, is from this country, from England, um, UK, sorry, um, from not America, and was <laughs> listening to um, a, a right-wing drone-in show, Rush Limbaugh. Oh, Rush Limbaugh, yeah. Yeah, Limbaugh. So, um, and... This uh, the, the 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 host was talking about how bad this concept of Obamacare was going to be, and talking a lot about socialised healthcare being a bad thing. That's the that's the the term that's used the the derogatory term for it. And he phoned in and said, "But you've got a socialised military, which is a very good point. Just because you pay for something out of your." taxes just because the people who are lucky enough to earn enough to, to to pay for it pay for it and then you're not charged for it whoever you are when you need it it's that's that's a good thing isn't it anyway so yeah i've um i've been uh lucky enough to work in the states and uh and i've and holidayed in the states a lot uh which has resulted in a couple of hospital visits um uh and i don't i don't recommend it it's just they they talk about it being a, a healthcare sector rather than a service. And, and then how do you how do you feel about because I know last week there was an amendment that Labour put forward in Parliament to try and sort of put tabs on what the government can and can't do post Brexit with the NHS. And I know that that was voted down. Yeah, like, it's like seventeen or something. That sort of um, it, that's that was very worrying, wasn't it? Really. Um, We've heard again and again and again that the NHS is not on the table. Um, I mean, when someone puts it through Parliament, should we just say it's not on the table? I would really hope that everyone <laughs> isn't on the table. So otherwise, we feel like we're being lied to. Um, but uh, for, I, don't, I don't really think we're going to wake up one day and the papers are going to say... We've sold the NHS. It's no longer a thing. It's going to be this very slow trail of breadcrumbs nibbling here and there and here and there. That's yeah. going to it's going to be the, the its potential destruction. But if we're looking for the positives in the current situation, and we have to yeah. think, um, I think love for the NHS has never been greater and stronger than it is at the moment and I think if when things if and when things are suggested that will um, hobble the NHS or privatise more of it or turn it into some sort of insurancy thing whatever it's going to be I do think we'll get on our feet and we'll put on our masks and we'll march and we'll make a lot of noise I hope so, I hope so. I, when I when This Is Going to Hurt came out in the States, which was uh, last Christmas in the before times, um, um, I was asked a few times about the death panels we've got over here. Um, 
and I don't, I don't know if I've just been lucky, but none of my NHS experiences, either as a doctor or as a patient, I was aware of the death panels. But it's a that's a big thing as far as that. It's proper propaganda. Yeah, it is. It's just actual made up nonsense. Yeah. That you know, you just get assessed by a death panel to decide if you if you meet the criteria, if you just have to be killed. But that's what scares me a lot is that you know people create. <laughs> they just sort of yeah they create narratives and those narratives are very very powerful and that is scary and if people aren't able to access information then they they just see things you know not working and they go oh, well it's not working though is it so maybe these people you know yeah, yeah. well it's the thing isn't it it's... sorry if you, if you live in america and you've got a huge chunk of your income goes on health insurance if you were worried about because Gallup, the, the the polling people, do this annual poll about what's the biggest stress you have in your life. And in the States, five years in a row, the number one um, biggest stress is the availability and affordability of healthcare, which is it's just so different. To, hopefully, no one in the UK has that anywhere near the, their top 10 stresses. But and then if someone were to suggest this world where whoever you are, you get the same quality of care, and that quality of care is good. I mean, i i can't I can't see how it's gaslighting, isn't it? Well, it's it's definitely malicious. Yeah. But also, I think about it in terms of how it affects society in a wider way. Because if you're, it, it limits people taking risks. It limits people. It, well, people. It limits people who aren't from money taking risks with their lives. Because if you don't have insurance, you need to get a job to get insurance. You can't have a period of time where you're trying to start your own business or trying to start your own creative project. Or, or you know, you can't take as many risks as a person or a creative person or whatever if you're constantly thinking, "Yes, but if I do this, I have no insurance if I get ill." And so I think that makes the society poorer overall in other ways as well Absolutely. and also like scare you know if you are operating in that fear the whole time it it makes you less happy for like uh, it's so overwhelming the difference it makes to everyone to have that kind of thing yeah um so here's here's my here's my uh experience of being a patient in the states i was in Miami. I was staying in a hotel. Uh, my husband and I were by the pool and we were having a, a lovely, lovely afternoon. And I I left the deck chair and I went to the went to the loo and I sat down and some, I felt something in my hair, which I sort of brushed, brushed out the way like a fly or something. But it wasn't a fly. When I'd sat down, a bit of glass had fallen from the picture frame behind me, got into my hair. I'd, you know, my hair provided a bit of bounce and I put, I didn't feel it, it was glass. And, and annoyingly, I cut my finger in such a way that it would not stop bleeding. It was a relatively small cut. It went across the knuckle. You can see that on on our Skype there, just on that. Yeah. There was a bit of a bit of a cut, um, but it hit some sort of little arteriole or whatever it was, and it was going <laughs> with blood. And I was like, oh god! So I was squeezing it, and as I put my hand, my hand, other hand on it to squeeze it, it would start squirting out the gaps between my finger. And having failed to stop it, five minutes later, I walked back. Um, 
to, to James on, on the Sun Lounger. And um, I, I looked like I'd been shot. There's no, no, it was just like everywhere. It was all over me. And I was like, no, 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 it's fine. It's fine. It's fine. It's just this thing. Um, and so the hotel were great. And they were trying to put the, the tourniquet on it and trying to, doing everything to it, would not stop bleeding. So embarrassingly, we needed to make our way to like an emergency room. Yeah. And I was very apologetic. And, but as per um, the cliche, one of the very first questions is, how are you going to pay for it? Before, and that's before you see a nurse, before you see a doctor, before anyone get, anything gets sorted out. And my answer was, oh, we've got travel insurance. But, I mean, did I know what the number was? So I, had, I handed off over my, um, my, my credit card just so, so they had a way of paying for it. Fine. But then the doctors were asking me questions that had financial implications, which were sort of, so you've got a glass, you've had a glass injury over a joint. Normally, we would x-ray that to check there's no glass within the joint, which would cause a big problem. Um, but that will be an extra, whatever it was, $1,500. And so... I found myself thinking, oh, how likely is it there was any glass left? And that is not yeah, what yeah, you yeah. should be thinking in a medical situation. And again, when, when it came to closing the wound, do I want stitches or glue? And one would be a better result, but would be more expensive. But that shouldn't be part of, 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 of your patient's journey. Mm. And it shouldn't be part of a doctor's job to say, you know, you should be making recommendations on the basis of what is best, mm. what I would recommend for myself, for my mum, for my sister, not not with the with the money side, you know, totally divorced from that. It's weird. It's a weird system, and it's not it's not good. This is a question I was going to ask you. What do you think? That, uh, oh, sorry, I want to find a way to make sure I'm being sensitive about asking this. But in general, what's happened? to people who've been lucky enough not to be hurt by COVID, they've had a really unusual period in their lives in the past few months. In general, a lot of people have been moving loads less, going out loads less. Do you think that's going to have a sort of long-term effect on people? Like, what do you think that's done? Regardless yes, of I think, the I more... think as, as well as the as well as the direct effects of this awful virus on people's lives, yeah. um, there's this sort of penumbra, this cloud um, that will have long lasting effects. And, you know, in the center of the cloud, there's the, there's the more longer term effects that we don't yet know of a very new illness. Yeah. And, you know, organ X and organ Y might not work as well as they did. And we don't know how badly this will uh, this will affect them or for how long and then there's the people who have been affected by the nhs having to contract to a certain extent so stuff that you know stuff that can go on the back burner has gone on the back burner and this isn't a bad thing because we're protecting these people what you don't want is to invite an 83 year old in for their elective hip surgery and be responsible for their death from an infectious disease that is prevalent in the hospital. So these decisions were made for a reason, but they have they have consequences. Um, and then there is this big fact that for three months it's been difficult to be to be healthy. And I, I suspect that three months isn't long enough to do. I don't know, but I mean I think that's probably reversible damage. 
unless you were really, really caning it on the vanilla slices. I think you can, I think you can probably get back on an even keel. But um, we don't yet know how long this is going to go on for. We yeah. don't know, um, you know, whether there are going to be further lockdowns, second wave, whatever we're going to call it, or uh, if not a second wave, then it might just be a very long first wave. And so the public health messaging does need to be involved with um, probably no, public health messaging probably needs to be increased in general responsibility for ourselves the things we can do the importance of exercise the importance of diet mm. now we we'll just talk a bit a bit about the the book as well as that is raising oh, funds yeah. and and uh, dear nhs there's some lovely stories in it particularly lovely one just of uh, how terry jones and michael palin cheered everyone up after there'd been an oyster knife accident and everyone was having a miserable time in the a and &E, and then they saw terry jones setting up covered in blood and everyone was like hey the pythons are here which oh, is quite a kind of jovial <laughs> Yeah. Um, and um, Michael Palin, in fact, at the end of his uh, story, um, gives a Terry Jones uh, quote, uh, which is, you so rarely see your own bowels. <laughs> <laughs> got a little uh, coil of bowel that had been extracted, which is, uh, <laughs> which is, uh, it's, it's a very good, a very good point. It's, um, there's, I mean, there's some very funny stuff in this book. There's some very sad stuff in the book and i think in that way it reflects our experiences of the health service and the, and the funny stories aren't always from the people you think are going to be funny and the sad stories have been very often not from the people from, you know like jimmy carr wrote so so movingly about his mum's death and you know i had in the back of my mind that you know I thought Jamie Oliver would probably come back with a recipe and, and he did. And he did. But I also thought that Jimmy Carr would probably write a, you know, a page of zingers. He's, he's Jimmy Carr, but whoever you are, however big and famous, however many hundreds of millions of albums you've sold or whatever it is, we are all just frail, fragile humans who go wrong the same way that everyone else does. And, you know, and we all rely on healthcare professionals and the NHS, I do really think, is the best possible version of, of that. Mark Gates's story is uh, very about both his, his, his uh, uh, mother and his, and his sister. And uh, I thought Mark's, which, which I think also the, he, he spoke about it a while ago for one of the Stand Up for Cancer events as well, which is somewhere online. And I would, uh, I would recommend people have a, have a look at um Oh well, yeah. yeah, and he starts his by saying nothing about this is easy to write, and it's not easy to read. He writes, he writes really beautifully. He's, um, he's, I mean, but it's, it's just so honest and personal. I'm so, if you know, if people like the book, they will like it because of the fact it's so honest and personal, and we've all got different experiences. A mark at the end of his piece sort of sums up what we're talking about, which is, he says something like we just couldn't survive without the NHS because it's the best of us. And I think we've, we've really seen that recently. I mean, I mean, doctors, nurses, healthcare professionals never been particularly work shy, but, um, and they've never really stuck to the hours that their contract says, but what's happened recently is just, been an order of magnitude beyond normal. I know people who've moved out of their family homes 
to um, to live in hospital accommodation for months and months so they don't come back home bringing a you know potentially fatal infectious disease people going to work with woefully inadequate protective equipment knowing that they are putting their lives on the line having colleagues in the same hospitals in the same trust who've lost their lives and still turning up and you know thanks i mean well <laughs> that's yeah. that's an amazing thing it is. It's well, that was sorry, Joyce. No, no. No, I was just going to say because my my niece, who's a pediatric nurse, she was very angry about the the Dominic Cummings Barnard Castle story, which I remember at the time everyone went, well, that must be the end of of this, and of course it wasn't. It didn't matter. It got talked about long enough, and then it moved on. But she was particularly angry because she deals with a, a lot of families where children are severely ill, and they already are having an incredible battle. In And then now, during that, that period of lockdown, which, of course, continues for a lot of people, a lot of people who, who uh, that lockdown is not over. We, we don't know when that is going to be over there. And that was what and I just wondered about your opinion on what angered her most was she had taken great care over months to ensure that every possible risk was minimized for these people who are already battling a great deal. And that she felt that that story was something which immediately just started tearing down an enormous amount of work that so many health workers and support workers uh, had had done and all of the work they'd done. And it was ultimately just dismissed by this gesture. Yeah, it had a, had a real impact. And I saw a huge amount of fury from health and social care staff who have been literally putting their lives on the line, who have been spending 12 hours in a row wearing basically bin liners, you know, doing... And the the ask on them was enormous. The ask on them was unthinkable. The ask on the rest of us was so, so small. And for some people, it was easier than others. For me, it was very easy because I've got a garden and I realise that makes my life a lot easier than someone who's living on the 16th floor in a one-bedroom flat with a two-year-old child and no access to outside space. Oh, no, I, I know not for not everyone, it's, it's, it's a doddle by any stretch. But compared to what the health and social care staff had to do day in, day out, not driving to the other end of the country to visit some beauty spots should have been very easy. And the fact that someone so big and important got away with it, that was a turning point. That was the point where people, where good people who wanted to do the right thing were like, oh, it's a bit muddly now, isn't it? Because his reason was, oh, it was sort of almost within, it was sort of fine if you look at it, if you really squint your eyes and look at it from this angle, it was probably all right. Then doubt was introduced and then, you know, it all started sort of evaporating away. And it's just disrespectful to the, the people who've done so much at the other end to, to, to keep the rest of us alive. But also then to see the discourse being like set up of like, no, no, actually, I think you're being stupid if you didn't break the rules. Like all <laughs> of this fucking bad faith bullshit. And then the fact that after that scandal, the government were like, oh, yes, we're relaxing the restrictions now. Just look at this. Don't look at that. And you look at where in Scotland the restrictions weren't relaxed at that time. And you see their cases coming right down and yeah. how much of a struggle it's been in England since. 
And it's just, it is very hard not to just lose your mind. <laughs> yeah, it is. It, it is. And, you know, the public inquiry, inquiries, that's going to be a big chapter in it. It has to be. Mm-hmm. There, are, there have been a lot of turning points, I think. You know, obviously one of the biggest, where they're now starting to say, oh, maybe we could have done things differently. Um, yes, I saw I think, that and I was like, oh, that's interesting because during the time there was an army of people defending you in the media and saying how well you were doing. So yeah. it's very interesting. Oh, so they're sort of slightly managing expectations. But I mean, the length of time it took them to make. The, it's not. An, I'm not. I don't. I'm very glad I didn't have to make the decision. It's clearly a nightmare, super complicated decision. Mm-hmm. But. When they were saying, oh, it, the situation is totally different. You can't compare us to Italy. Why would you compare us to Italy? It's a totally different virus. Totally different. That's, that's a virus that's got an Italian accent. How would yeah. you be pluckier over oh, this virus that's behaved in exactly the same way in every single country it's rocked up at was over in Italy a fortnight a fortnight ahead of us. And we could see what it was doing. And we could see the awful, awful scenes. And... People were. Some people were saying, hmm, maybe we could. Could we stop this by, you know, by being a couple of couple of days ahead? And instead, they said, oh no, in Italy, oh, not in Italy. It's, it's related to other things. And then, and and they were proved wrong. And politicians are proved wrong the whole time. And it's fine. And we've got you know hindsight. But in this instance, wrong equates to probably tens of thousands of deaths by now because it's an exponential thing. One turns to two, turns to four, eight, 16, 32, 64, one. It doesn't take very much time at all, but, but before, oh, I, I just find it so sad. Yeah, I'm sorry. It's one of those things where it is so exasperating, it's hard to talk about because because we can't, we don't have enough power to, or we can't change their bad decision making and we can't change their bad behavior and they weren't following the science because the science isn't one thing the science is thousands of people arguing and hopefully eventually coming to a consensus and the science the science doesn't doesn't care about the economy the science just looks at the you know essentially the number of people are going to die from this virus Sorry to interrupt your podcast, but I just quickly wanted to let you know about a thing, which is that Book Shambles and the Cosmic Shambles Network exist thanks to generous pledges of our listeners on Patreon. If you want to support the podcast and what we do, tiers start at just $1 a month and you'll get all sorts of goodies thrown in. So go to patreon.com slash bookshambles. Um, the, uh, you've got a children's book coming out as well, Kay's Anatomy, which is going to be a disgusting guide to the body, I believe. Yeah, I mean that's the, that's the plan. Uh, it's yeah, it's called Kay's Anatomy, which is a joke that no eight to twelve year olds uh, will get. <laughs> but so, the mums will. Yeah, the mums will. You've got uh, all for the mums. Yeah, yeah, it's something in there for them. But it's sort of, in a way, the book is a bit for the parents because I don't think that present company accepted because you're you're hugely uh, knowledge about all things scientific, but. I think generally we've forgotten quite a lot about what we were told about the body, and um, this is a way that they can they can read a hopefully funny science textbook with their kids and sort of learn 
what the kidneys actually do for the first time. Uh, and I've always found the body totally fascinating. Um, and, I, and I ended up working in, 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 in the world of the body for a while. But the body's never, it's never had very high billing for kids like the way space does, like the way dinosaurs do, or the Tudors have managed to sort of really inveigle their way into, into, into popularity. It's really eighth, isn't it? Yeah, yeah, exactly. I mean, yeah. Who else has had six wives? Yeah. Uh, the, um, so Kay's Anatomy, That's wh- when's that due out again? That's out in the middle of October. Middle of October, so that's the... Uh, and it's, it doesn't matter about the fact the eight to ten-year-olds don't get the joke. They haven't got the money, have they? It's been bought. No. So as long as the people who are buying it for the Christmas present, that's that's all that matters. And and the Dear NHS book is a, is a lovely... It's, I mean, it's, it, there's so much in there and so many... Well, was there any... I know it's always difficult to, to choose one single, but in terms of you, you, you mentioned Jimmy Carr's one. Were, were there any others where you just were kind of slightly taken aback by what someone offered and, 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 the, and, the, and the story that someone wished to, to share about the NHS? Yes. I mean, I mean, quite, quite a few, to be honest. Dawn French um, similarly talked about the death of her mum in a very different way. And, uh, and talks about Derriford Hospital and the, the the kindness of the individuals who still remember the name of who looked after her mum. A lot of people remembered individuals and remembered the people who aren't, aren't the sort of normal headline NHS staff like um, Amelia Clark, uh, who had been extremely unwell after a couple of uh, strokes, essentially. Um, and she, she talks about the neurosurgeon who saved her life, but also about the cook who prepared the fish pie that she liked and the phlebotomist who came around every day to take her bloods, who she saw way more than any of the other staff and uh, had continuity of care with the, with the phlebotomist and the porters. And, you know, and the, there's, a, there's a lot of that because it's this enormous jigsaw of hundreds of separate professions whether you're the biochemical scientist or the speech therapist you know without any of these pieces it doesn't doesn't work i mean i'm very biased but i think it's a nice thing and it's 109 different people and their experiences and you don't have to like all 109 of them but i defy anyone to read this book and not be utterly moved by 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 some of it and and even if you do hate every single page of it it's all the money's gone to charity so uh everyone's every been, single page of it who are you what is with you um i mean you you will always find actually okay so you should obviously never read reviews at all let alone amazon reviews and i should know oh my god my first book i should have learned but oh and i should say that it's been reviewed very very warmly on amazon and 200 reviews later it's still averaging five stars so i'm not complaining but i'm also complaining about (laughs) the one star reviews from the man with the ideological problem with the nhs um, who wrote, oh. gave it one star because he thinks there are better systems. But that's probably not as bad as the few people who gave it one star because it was delayed in arriving or the packaging was damaged. <laughs> yeah, that's <laughs> always very funny, isn't it? So ridiculous. That's why you can't look at it because people literally be like, this book wasn't about a horse. You're like, I never said it would be. Well, yeah. I'll just tell you now, 
Congaroo, whoever you are, Congaroo, I'm going to find you. You're in the 3% of the one-star reviews that I have on Amazon, Congaroo. And I don't even think you read the book, Congaroo. So, Congaroo, one day, when you're somewhere in a cafe reviewing people in an acerbic manner, I'll find you. Congaroo. Do you know what was annoying? Then when I looked at what else Congaroo had reviewed, I did have one level of agreement on one of the other books. I was like, oh, Oh, it turns out Congaroo... Because now you're starting to respect Congaroo. Now there's a side of Congaroo that I'm thinking maybe if we had a long car journey, I'd be John Cassidy, Steve Martin. You know, this is a a, a problem. There's, I think Ema McBride, I might have mentioned this before, but um, her her first novel, uh, A Girl is a Half-Formed Thing, which is an incredible piece of work and is 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 not, not to be taken lightly. You know when you go, right, now is the time to go into this book. It, it really is it's, it's quite a kind of powerful spell. And she won an award for it, quite a kind of mainstream award. So that meant it went on to all of the book group things, you know, where people go. And it is a real five star, one star thing, because anyone who's just wanting a nice, straight narrative, a bit of an adventure or whatever, this is not what they get in this incredible kind of psychological journey. And so she's won an award. And so five star, one star, five star, one star. No one kind of goes, yeah, no. And I think I can't remember if it was her, but there was one author I talked to who actually once agreed to go to someone's reading group said, oh, we have a book club. Would you come on, come along? And then had to sit in someone's kitchen. I said, and I'll tell you something else that I, I hate it. Her. Maybe I it was Ema. I think it might have been Ema who actually then had to sit there while oh. everyone told her how much she, uh, do you want hmm. another bourbon? Anyway, That's another thing. It makes me sick with terror. The idea that you would do that to yourself is, it's awful. Or the idea that you wouldn't then, because I know I've heard sometimes people say, you know, as much as things like social media, you you can compliment people and they don't mind. So why shouldn't you be able to say nasty things as well? And you kind of go, well, it just seems nice. Nasty stuff is bad. And it seems that as a social animal, you'd want to go, oh, I've seen something great. I really want to share that. Um, and go, oh, there's something bad. If anyone asks me specifically, I will individually tell them not to bother with that film. (laughs) I I, I was reading some old reviews of um, Rita Sue and Bob Two by um, Andrea Dunbar, who was a very interesting writer. And, oh, uh, and people should watch, what's it called? The Croft Glade? The the Arbor. Arbor, the Arbor, yeah. Oh, man, and it's, uh, it's about her daughter predominantly but it's 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 really interesting i was it was a 1987 copy of time out and i thought oh this is one of the reasons that i'm glad i stopped doing a review program because i hate to think of that person who's put everything into their work and it turns out that to me and maybe quite a large number of people they don't it doesn't connect at all you don't like it but i, I remember once i think the time that i gave up doing a review show was i, I met this this filmmaker and I really hated his film. And I thought it was so boring. But I also realised he'd put everything into it. Yeah. And it didn't matter what my... It just turned out it was a failure. It wasn't for you. Yeah, and, yeah and, uh, I just want a bit glib about a band, just in a jokey way. And I, But I just assumed they wouldn't hear it or wouldn't care. It was like in a music magazine or something. I was just a little bit glib. And then years later, I did Loose Ends with them. And they were like, oh, yes, we remember you. We remember you said this about us. And I was like, oh, this was not intent. It was not supposed to be a deep cut. Like, this was just me being a little bit glib. But it did make me think, there's no need. And I've stopped doing book reviews for newspapers unless I can give a very positive review. Mm. Because I, so my, my journey went like this. I would, you know, Initially, when you know when I started selling books and people thought, oh, we'll get him as a reviewer because people might be interested in what he's got to say. So um, I would just review them honestly. And 
mostly I was very lucky to be sent books I really loved and I wrote about that and then I didn't there was there was nothing that I really ripped the head off but there were a couple of books where I was just a bit sort of lukewarm in places I always made sure I gave them a good quote that they could use but I said at the you know last paragraph but the thing is on the other hand you know yeah. and one of these people got upset and initially I thought how dare you? I gave you, made sure I gave you a really good pull quote and 90% of this was a really positive review and I was just doing the, you know, the, the, the issues I had with it. Yeah. And then I thought, I didn't need to put that last bit in at all and nor did I need to do the review in the first place. So now when I'm asked to review something, I say I will, I will definitely read the book, but if I don't think it's for me, then do you mind if I pass? And they say, yeah, fine, because... What's the point? If it was me, I would much rather have a positive review or no review than a bad review. So I'll, I won't contribute to the problem. Dirt Bogard talks about that. In Dirt Bogard, I think one of his last books, it was a collection of his reviews, uh, predominantly book reviews and some other bits of journalism. And the first review he ever did was uh, about Russell Harty's book, uh, The Grand Tour, which was based on a TV series. And Russell Harty, of course, was the reason that Dirt Bogart had a whole second career as uh, both a, a, a writing his autobiographies and as a novelist because someone watched him on a Russell Harty show, a, a publisher, and went, Dirk, have you ever thought of writing books? And, and he obviously really liked Russell Harty. And he wrote this review, which spends much of the time saying Russell Harty is just a wonderful, uh, you know, the, 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 the delight he creates. But he was so disappointed in this book because it didn't generate what he knows Russell Harty is capable of generating. And somehow the book didn't capture the, the, the beauty and, and, and the wonder. And he found out that it broke Russell Harty's heart to read it and, and Russell Harty died not that long afterwards oh god um, and of course also having been um uh, uh, plagued by the, the the press as well it's a very Alan Bennett I highly recommend anyone who if you look up Alan Bennett's eulogy at uh, Russell Harty's memorial it was uh, a brilliant taking down of uh the the ruthlessness of the press and what they did to uh, Russell Harty um who is someone that one of those I find myself very often going back on YouTube two people I love watching are into do you ever watch the interviews that Dick Cavett did the the American interviewer oh, sure yeah man they are so great there's one with Norman Mailer and Gore Vidal and they've had a bit of a to-do you don't see things like that on television anymore I really promise you it's an absolute delight and the other thing is watching someone like Russell Harty interviewing uh Ralph Richardson or anyone that he did uh, or David Bowie it's it's absolute joys sorry there we go there's just some recommendations of other things listen um, we are um, we are running out of time. No, we're not running out of time. Time's an illusion. We did a whole show on the Infinite Monkey Cage. I've realised none of it means anything. We're in a block universe. This thing is happening over and over again. Why stop now? Bye-bye. Okay. I can hand in my Sunday Times column a bit late. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. Because okay. it's, it's also incredibly early. Yeah, just right it's, at it's, the bottom. And it's on time. It, don't you block worry about that. defence. Okay. Yeah, <laughs> I have a note from teacher. <laughs> um the uh and you can tell them i know professor brian cox um so uh that's that that's basically been i suppose the uh the, the the narrative of my career has been what's ricky gervais like what are richard and judy like what's professor brian cox like no no, has, no, no one ever asked me how i am <laughs> it's, such, it's such a treat to get to talk to you adam thank you so much for coming you on too. thanks for having me it's uh absolute fun as always so, Dear NHS uh, and yeah. uh, Kate, I was going to say Case Catalog. 
Um, can you do the case catalogue? Yeah, just a selection of nylon trousers, um, and uh, and obviously also so three books now. There's the the AJ Cronin with your introduction. There's uh, Kay's Anatomy, and there's there's Dear NHS. And knowing because it's still kind of lockdownish, there'll probably be a fourth book coming out this year as well. So just keep yeah, an eye I'm, out, everyone. I'm writing three or four a week at the moment. So. <laughs> He's the Cartland of the. <laughs> I was more worried. I thought he might be the L. Ron Hubbard. Um, so. Thank you very much, and thank you everyone for who's, who's listened to this. Thank you very much, everyone who supports us via uh, Patreon and all of those other things. We've got lots more stuff um, coming up. And I could one quick recommendation on BBC Three: um, there is a documentary called False Hope um, about alternative cancer cures. And I would like to highly recommend if you get a chance to either listen, uh, watch that, or listen to the Skeptics with a K episode ab- about that, um, because I think it's a it is a very important documentary and uh the merseyside skeptic episode about everything around it as well is uh, is a very important thing to listen to so thank you very much for your time bye bye thank you very much for listening dear nhs is out now make sure you get yourself a copy it is a truly lovely thing Thank you very much to our Patreon supporters. Patreon.com slash Bookshambles is where you can go to support us. If you can't uh, support financially, that's fine. There will always be free versions of all the episodes available as well. But you could go to Apple Podcasts and like and subscribe and rate and do all nice things on there. That helps us out as well. We'll be back next week with another new episode. Have a great week, stay safe, and we'll see you then. Bye. This podcast is part of the Cosmic Shambles Network. Josie Robbins' Book Shambles was produced by Trent Burton of Trunkman Productions.